Welcome to Parsha Partners, the podcast that aims to put the pupil and the pill pool back in the study of the weekly Torah portion. My name is Aviv Matskin, and I am extremely fortunate to be a teacher in a Jewish day school in the heart of Silicon Valley. Fortunate because I get to come to work every day to learn from a group of young, brilliant Torah scholars who read biblical text with fresh eyes and sensitivities. After years of training and then learning from these creative readers, I decided it's just a shanda not to share their beautiful teachings with a wider audience. So I'm inviting you to come with us on a brief journey through a small section of this week's Pasha. Partner with us, a group of young students and an old teacher, as we try to uncover layers of meaning through the sharing of questions, connections, inferences, and predictions. Let's begin by meeting our participants today. Hello, my name is Benji, and I'm in grade four. Hi, my name is Rotem, and I'm in grade six. Hi, my name is Emma, and I'm in grade two. Well, you should see our participants. They look a little nervous. They have no idea what we're about to study, but I'm going to share with them just as I share with the listening audience. We are in Parashat Beshalach, in the sending, in the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus. And if you want to stop listening to this podcast now to read the verses we're going to study, you're welcome to do that in a Humash, a Bible, safaria.org. We will be in Shemot, Exodus, chapter 17, Pasuk 8. Pasuk 8, and we'll probably go to around 16. And if you want instead just to come along with us on the journey as our interpreters here see it for the first time, you're welcome to do that. We are in the parasha in which Pharaoh finally says, Go, I am sending you on your way. Of course, Pharaoh changes his mind and chases after the Israelites, and they come to the Sea of Reeds, and Moshe lifts his hand, and the sea splits, and the Israelites go through, and the Egyptians chase after, and the sea splashes back on the Egyptians. And you would think, celebration, we're free. But the Israelites are going to complain, where's the food? Where's the water? We want to go back to Egypt. And then at the very end of the Pasha, something very strange happens. That is where we're going to be now. Benji, read for us Pasuk 8 and keep going until I say stop. Amalek came and fought with Yisrael in Rephidim. Moshe said to Yeshua, Choose men for us and go out to battle Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Yeshua did as Moses told him to battle Amalek. Moses, Aharon, and Chor went to the top of the hill. When Moshe raised his hands, Israel prevailed. When he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. Good, stop there. As we do in class, let's begin with any questions or inferences or connections that we have. Um, why does Moses raise his hands? The only thought I have is to encourage the Israelites, but he needs help. He, it's really hard to hold your hands up for a long time. Okay, let's start with that. Go ahead, Emma. Why were they going to battle Amalek? And then after he raised his hand and then put it down, Amalek prevailed. Okay, so we seem to have a situation in which, for some reason, we don't know why, they're going to battle with another group of people. If Moshe Moshe keeps his hands up, they're winning. If Moshe keeps his hands down, 
they're losing. And Benji has an idea. What was it again, Benji? How does that work? Hands up means to encourage when his hands are down. He's resting and not encouraging the warriors but his hands up really encourage them to do what is right and to have their hands up also i feel like god is like granting them with a miracle or something when to let them have the chance to have their hands up but if god can do stuff like that why can't just like not have them there because they just got out of egypt they should have some time to rest they should relax for a while. Ah, why does God even allow them to be attacked? They just got out of Egypt. They're exhausted. If God could provide a miracle, then stop Amalek from attacking. Maybe God did it as like a consequence of all the whining because he led them out of Egypt and now they're like, now they are complaining and not, they don't have faith in him. Well, it turns out, Rotem, that you're Rashi. Rashi, the 11th century commentator, he says actually what you just said. Right before it says Amalek attacked, if you look right above it, it says the people of Israel asked Moses, is God even among us? I mean, is God even here to help us? So Rashi says, well, God has a response. You want to know if I'm here? Look what happens when I do nothing. You'll get attacked. Yes, Benji. Why a hill? Like, Maybe a cliff to show that they're like sturdy and the battle's happening under. Or maybe even a pit would symbol like the Joseph story. This, this hill, I'm not sure what it has to do with the battle. Actually, Benji, now that you mentioned the hill, I would say that argues a little against what you were talking about earlier, the cheering. Because if the people are down below and Moshe is their cheerleader up on the hill, they're not going to take their eye off the battle to look up. Hey, is Moshe cheering? Because when they do that, they're going to get slayed. They're going to get killed. So I'm guessing it might be something else than cheerleading Moshe is doing with his hands. I mean, you might be right, Benji, but it seems like the worst thing you can do when you're fighting is to look up to see if Moshe is hands up for you. Emma, you have an idea? Um, why that? I think it's a tribe. Why that tribe? I'm guessing maybe the tribe is like one of the more powerful ones that they fear and to kick the Israelites out of their illusion that life is only slavery. The first thing God wants to do is kick them out of that illusion with a powerful tribe attacking and maybe they have some the Amalek tribe attacks in some way that is different from other tribes that maybe symbolizes something to the Israelites. Speaking of symbolizing I just looked up thanks to Emma's question uh, the origin of Amalek and in Bereshit in Genesis here's what I found. Uh, Amalek is a person and his father is Eliphaz, and the father of Eliphaz is Esav, of Yaakov and Esav, the brothers. So Amalek is the grandson of Esav. Mm. That's oh. interesting. But if, why would they attack Israel if they're brothers? Brothers. Oh, wait, I see. So Esav is Amalek. And Yisrael is another name for Yaakov, Jacob. So when Amalek attacks Yisrael, it's Esav attacking Jacob. And they shouldn't fight each other. They're brothers. Yaakov steals everything from Esav. He stole the birthright. He stole the blessing. Esav and his tribe, the Amalek tribe, must hate the tribe of Ne Yisrael. 
Ah, so you're saying this is just revenge for an old family fight between brothers. Yaakov, the younger one, stole the blessing and the birthright from his brother who was supposed to get it as the firstborn, and now Amalek is just taking up the fight because Esav had said long ago, ooh, I'm going to kill my brother for stealing. Rotem. But um, I'm pretty sure that they did make up in the end because they met and then they... And if Esav didn't attack him before, why, can't, why do they attack them right now? That's a good question. After everything was said and done... Jacob and Esau did make up. They had a reunion, and Esau seemed to be okay with the whole thing. I don't mind you having stolen everything. I did fine without all of the birthright and blessing. But maybe this is payback, and maybe Esau's grandson didn't know this and has just been covered in the illusion that the, anything to do with Israel and Jacob is bad, and that they should be destroyed. So when Amalek created his tribe, it was about destroying Israel, because that was his life mission to make his grandfather proud. Maybe. So this kind of reminds me of Joseph, where Joseph saved all of Egypt, but then in, in many generations it became so that the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. So maybe there's a problem in, like, these people that they don't remember what what their ancestors did. Ah, so this is an issue of faulty memory or memories that weren't passed down properly. So Amalek either forgot or never learned that his grandfather Esav had forgiven his brother Yaakov, later known as Israel, and this incomplete memory leads to this battle. Okay, very interesting. I'm not sure if it helps us with the hands in the air, but I'm curious. Um, why don't we read on a bit? Rotem, would you start at 12? Moshe's hand became heavy. They took a stone and placed it under him, and he sat upon it. Aharon and Hur supported his hands, one of them on one side and one on the other side. His hands remained an expression of faith until sunset. Yeshua awakened Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Go ahead, Emma. Why would he awake Amalek if they were in battle with him? They weakened Amalek. They made them weak. Oh. And why after sunset? Oh, that could be important. And also, it kind of reminded me of Jacob. He wrestled with the angel or the man or whatever and, until sunset. Oh, what a connection. I've actually never heard it before. So you're talking about this mysterious encounter that Yaakov had one fateful night in which some stranger wrestles with him in the darkness and then asks to be released before the sun rises and then gives Yaakov the new name Israel. And this happens when Yaakov is fearfully returning to his brother Esau after spending years and years away from home because he stole Esau's birthright and blessing. And Oh, and since many commentators think the strange wrestler was Esau, that would be round one of Amalek versus Yisrael. Well, I disagree because he didn't steal any of them. First of all, the stew, he gave it to Esau on one condition, and Esau said yes. And then he didn't steal it because his mom, his mom told him to be like Esav to get the blessing. Emma, good for you for disagreeing and for defending Yaakov. Okay, so your argument is Yaakov did not steal Esav's birthright. He traded it fairly for a bowl of stew. And it was not Yaakov's idea to deceive his blind father to get the blessing. It was his mother Rivka's idea 
to have him pretend to be Aesop. And so when he disguises himself as his brother, he... Uh, well, he puts skin of goats on him, on his hands. And arms. On his hands. On his hands. So his hands are what tricked his father. And so they're the reason that he has all of this. So it's like have the hands ready. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're moving fast here. Hold on. Let me see if I've got this straight. So Yaakov's mother covers his hands with the goat skin to disguise him as his brother Esau, who happens to be very hairy. And this works in tricking a blind Yitzchak, who's suspicious, actually, and says, Hakol kol Yaakov, the voice is the voice of Yaakov, vehayadaim yedei Esau. But the hands are the hands of Esav. And now Moshe, representing Yisrael, a.k.a. Yaakov, must raise his hands to defeat Amalek, representing Esav. He wants to show that the hands are like Esav, so that means that the hands can beat Esav because they are Esav. The hands are the hands of Esav. Uh, This is all a little bit mind-blowing. I'm not sure I completely understand all the connections. I'm pretty sure you're onto something, but... Let's continue reading to see what else reveals itself. Emma, could you read Pasuk 14? Adonai said to Moshe, Write this as a remembrance in the book and repeat it in Yeshua's ear. For I will totally obliterate the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. Um, so... There's a big deal in the Torah about, like I said earlier, people forgetting. Like, Egypt forgot about Joseph, so then they attacked them again. So maybe this is a test for the people to see that they want Amalek, and then once they meet them again, if they will try to attack them or maybe make peace with them. 15. Moshe built an altar. Vayiven Moshe Mizbeach. Vaykra Shemo Adonai Nisi. And he called the altar... Adonai is my miracle. Vayomer ki yad al kes Adonai. He said, the hand is on God's throne. Adonai will be at war with Amalek for all generations. Um, so I'm pretty sure that Haman was like the descendants of the Amalek people, kings. That's true. Haman, Jews, there's a little problem with them. So Haman basically just wants to kill all the Jews. And this generation thing really happens. Also, it says that they erased the memory, but maybe they also did that for for Amalek. So they forgot that the Israelites defeated them. So they won't have any grudges against them. If he, like, wanted to erase the memory, what would Our conversation on memory and revenge continued for some time. But I don't want to steal your thunder of any possible discussion you could have with family and friends. Instead, I want to share with you some modern commentary on the topics we broached. Yossi Klein Halevi, in a now famous essay called Purim Jews versus Pesach Jews, writes... Jewish history speaks to our generation in the voice of two biblical commands to remember. The first voice commands us to remember that we were strangers in the land of Egypt, and the message of that command is, don't be brutal. The second voice commands us to remember how the tribe of Amalek attacked us without provocation while we were wandering in the desert, and the message of that command is, don't be naive. 
The first command is the voice of Passover, of liberation. The second is the voice of Purim, commemorating our victory over the genocidal threat of Haman, a descendant of Amalek. Passover Jews are motivated by empathy with the oppressed. Purim Jews are motivated by alertness to threat. Both are essential. One without the other creates an unbalanced Jewish personality, a distortion of Jewish history and values. My students might argue that Amalek's attack was unprovoked. They would say that the sibling rivalry between Yaakov and Esav lays the groundwork for this ongoing struggle until one group, one of the brothers, can find the power to either forgive or forget. What do you think? Send us an email. Send us a voice message. Rate us on iTunes. But more importantly, come back next week as three new scholars come to reveal the hidden layers of the new parasha. Thank you.